for the the show notes for this, it, you'll get more listeners if you say that we don't play any misophonia triggers during the episode because oh, oh, some very people, good point. often it, people to demonstrate misophonia they make the sounds so if you mention that there oh, won't be any sounds yeah. then that will so help people opposite, feel confident it's the opposite of a trigger warning we have a no <laughs> we have a no trigger guarantee <laughs> exactly probably science hello everyone welcome to probably science i'm matt kershen i'm jesse case and I'm Andy Wood. Uh, and this is this is the first time we've done this on the show. Where this is multiple elements from past shows coming together in one beautiful new recording. Because longtime listeners of the show will know we've had as previous guests on the show. We've had Steve Hall, who is someone I've known for uh, as long as I've been doing comedy. We started out within within a few months of each other. I think there thereabouts. His wife, Dr. Jane Gregory, who is a psychologist who talked about cognitive behavioral therapy on a past episode, and is now writing a book and doing a PhD on something else that has come up on the show multiple times, which is, I think, particularly in the early days when we were recording back in Andy and Jesse's backyard, and we were a little bit more relaxed about things, and, you know, maybe people were having some drinks and some snacks, and then the snacks had to be cut out because we got multiple... Oh, I'm going to be... I'm I'm just going to be... If you'll... I'm just making this bag of popcorn... I'm just going to have this. Oh, oh, Jesse, Jesse, do not do that. Because, Why? What's going on? Because multiple listeners, this is the first time when I, I think I have this as well, but I, I didn't know the word for it until more than one listener wrote in to say, I have misophonia and please stop your guests from chewing anywhere near the microphone because it makes me want to put my head through a window. Yep. Uh, so Dr. Jane Gregory, could we, could let's start with like, what is misophonia and what's the deal with it? Misophonia is basically a, a heightened reaction to certain kinds of sounds, um, usually repetitive type sounds and most typically the sound of eating and breathing are the big ones, but also repetitive like tapping and p- clicking pens and dogs barking and basketballs bouncing and things like that and getting a really intense reaction to those sounds disproportionate to how annoying they really are right because i think someone chewing near your ear is objectively annoying whatever yes, your absolutely. psychological state <laughs> yeah but this is this is a level beyond this so, exactly yeah. so it sounds that m- most people for most of the sounds most people would say yes it's a bit annoying or a bit disgusting but for people with misophonia they would get more of like an anger or panic or fight or flight kind of response so it yeah it's it's inherently not very pleasant sounds to listen to but a very different reaction so i uh actually have quite severe misophonia um and but it's undiagnosed i've been diagnosed it's you know i so i checked out your website a little uh, and i'm i don't think that misophonia is responsible for all of my i'm not trying to make this podcast about myself by the way i'm just trying to connect uh, just trying to find touchstones as long as you keep I, mentioning my website it's fine <laughs> uh, yeah um but you know my diagnoses would be like ocd panic disorder um a lot of things that you mention are also maybe comorbids or uh, you know uh, maybe a false diagnosis before misophonia but i've never gotten the misophonia diagnosis um it is it something that you think a lot of uh maybe psychiatrists or or uh cognitive behavioral therapists are they just now getting hip to this or is this something that 
like has this been written off in the past because it really does affect affect your life in a pretty negative way sometimes absolutely yeah so the the main problem with it is that almost no one has heard of it even though a lot of people have it and it does really affect people's lives so we we just did a study on a uk representative sample so sort of roughly representative of the population in um, age gender and ethnicity and only i think it was 13 percent of people had heard of misophonia and 18% 18% had pretty significant symptoms of it. So there were more people who probably had it than there were people who had heard the term before. Hmm. So th- this feels like almost the opposite of, um, like, what the first time you were on the show, you were talking quite a lot about things like OCD, and because that's where a lot of your work's been in the therapeutic, you know, therapeutic practice, but talking about the... Um, a lot of people have obsessive compulsions, but it doesn't become, it's not OCD until it becomes a disorder, until it's like, until it's affecting negatively your life to a very high level, until it, until it's just like a clinical level of problem. Yeah, so the D part of OCD is disorder, and, and the way we would diagnose that is specifically if it causes a significant amount of distress or has a significant impact on the person's life, then we would consider... So- it to be a disorder and there's a question at the moment about whether misophonia should be considered a disorder and there was a a recent paper just from last year where a group of uh, researchers and clinicians who have been doing some work on misophonia sort of came together to come to a consensus about how to define misophonia and they agreed that it should be considered a disorder but part of the problem with that is you know, as I said, our study had 18% of the population have symptoms of it, but I don't think 18% would consider themselves to have a disorder. And so right. it's, it's, it's a challenge. But like, at what point do we say this is a disorder for somebody and can we use the same term for something if some people have it that severely that it does impact their life and cause a lot of distress? Do we want to be calling it the same thing? Like if it actually spurs you to write an email to the podcast, then that's disorder territory. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you'd be bordering on uh, on disorder level if you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't remember people. who it was who described one of our guests as quote like a goat, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> and not in their like capital letters. Goat. I, couldn't, I couldn't track it down, but um, <laughs> I couldn't find out which guest or which which listener. But I do remember that phrase. I remember that coming in, uh, Steve. Uh, so you are a comedian friend of mine and the husband of Dr. Jane Gregory. So how's the chewing in your house? What's the situation going on? Well, it's been an interesting journey because I think when we first got together, I don't think Jane knew, you know, you were still, Jane was still in the process of discovering the extent of her own misophonia. Uh, and so I've I've been trained uh, in the time we've been together to be slightly less annoying uh, the, the thing that annoy the thing that annoys Jane most with me is breathing, because I think I think I broke my nose. Literally, the sound of me being alive makes my wife furious. How dare you! But I I um I think I broke my nose at some point. Um and uh, not by me. That was not my fault. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. like, if you breathe one more time, I sweat. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to force you to have plastic surgery. I'm actually fairly sure it was a comedian soccer game. I blocked I blocked out a cross from Milton Jones, and I'm so bad at football. <laughs> I uh, got it full in the schnoz. Uh, and um, 
that culminated in Jane one uh, one morning saying to me uh, after after a, a night's sleep, "Do you always breathe like that?" <laughs> and uh, and so since then, in in 2019, I I underwent septoplasty. I, I I went under the surgeon's knife purely to try and be less annoying to my wife. My ploy worked. <laughs> Um, and it was uh, unsuccessful. It's, I, my breathing still annoys her, so it, it feels oh. like at the end of a film where where the where the baddie is revealed to have survived at the end of the film. It's a tragedy, <laughs> not a romantic comedy. Yeah. So you guys, as a couple, you guys avoided COVID just for the ventilator sounds. <laughs> you didn't want it wasn't the actual. You're like, I, I'm not going to be able to handle that. I tell you what, the people with misophonia were like in their element at the start of COVID because we can spot someone sniffing and repetitive coughing from a mile away. Right, like right. I, I will, if someone's coughing at the back of the bus, I will hear them and I will get off that bus. Yeah. No, I, I, um, it, it is interesting the way I, I guess it was, um, it's interesting you guys bring this up that you in the relationship, it sounds like you guys have made it work. Um, because I okay, so I can't um, eat around my dad. I can't listen to him eat uh, and breathing, etc. It's not his fault. It's it's literally, but like I have to go outside or something. And I was wondering, this might be more of a relationship question. How have you communicated that to each other in a way where it's like not personal? Because I don't, you know, he doesn't uh, he doesn't get it. He's he gets super uh, upset at me or bummed out about it. But it bumps yeah, me out too, you know. It's pretty hard to tell somebody that they repulse you yes. in a kind way. <laughs> <laughs> like you love them, you love them, but they repulse you. Yeah, and and literally this the sound of life, like eating and breathing, and in sickness and in health, um, they bother you. And um, I mean, when when we first got together, I I didn't even know what misophonia was. Like I. I knew that I was really annoyed by these sounds. And then at some point, one of my family members sent me this article that was talking about misophonia and, and it was kind of like, is this you? And then like three different people sent it to me. I think it's just every single person that I've ever glared at while they're eating corn chips or something all sent me the same article. And that's how I discovered that it actually had a name and I wasn't just really uptight and controlling <laughs> over people in my life. So, so in, what's in terms of the into your psychology training did that come about were you already a practicing psychologist at this point yes well well and truly it was uh, yeah several years post qualified so, so, so that's been... how so that's how little known a sort of phenomenon it is that even someone who's sort of trained in psychology and cbt is not uh not hasn't been taught about it in classes hasn't been taught yeah. about it in schools because am, am i right in thinking it's literally the, the phrase was only coined in was it 2001 yeah so it's just over 20 years ago but it, it's it's only like the research into it has only just increased in the last few years i think there was there was something like five studies in 15 years and then there's been like tens of studies just in the last two or three years um thanks to there's a, a misophonia research fund that's dedicated funding just for misophonia research and that has really helped to raise awareness but as as I said before, there's still only 13% of people have heard the term. And there was just a paper that was published, I think, just in the last week or so, that was a similar study on a US representative sample. And I think it was only 11% of people had 
were familiar with the term misophonia, so there's still a long way to go. What is the shape of the research that you're doing at the moment? So what is what are you actually studying and how? So I'm doing, um, it's a clinical academic fellowship, so it's basically a research training scheme for people who are actively clinicians, so it's doctors and psychiatrists and clinical psychologists. And so the idea is that you're doing things that are directly related to your clinical practice. So we've got a clinic, so we're in, uh, based in Oxford, and we've got a, an NHS clinic where we now see patients with misophonia. And then my research is basically trying to work out what are the aspects of misophonia that we could try and change or improve with cognitive behavior therapy. And so it's sort of breaking it down into parts and trying to test the individual parts and see what changes with therapy. It's an interesting case because if we agree it's a disorder, then obviously you want to help people try to recover from that or or reduce their symptoms when they encounter these things. But you're also like, but also chew with your mouth closed. (laughs) it's it's, (laughs) The thing that's causing it is also bad. Let's also stop the thing that causes it even as we try to reduce our reaction to it. But, but, but that also seems like, you know, a, a lot of the, because on the last episode that Jane was on, we were talking a lot about OCD and and that was a lot of your practice. But that that's also, I think things like OCD and phobias and all these sort of things that cognitive behavioral therapy is really primed to treat, it, they, they are all things that are based in fact and based in reality. Like people who have OCD about like cleanliness it doesn't mean that, oh, you shouldn't ever wash your hands or you should just roll around in shit. It's just like, no, it reaches a... Or you shouldn't check to make sure you've turned the gas off before you leave the house or that you lock the door. Like, those are all things that you should do. It's just when you then do it compulsively to a point that it ruins your life, that's when it becomes a problem. The same with, like, you should have a fear of heights and of... Uh, right. uh, <clears throat> of like Or a certain amount of respect for heights and fear of th- venomous snakes or whatever. But again, right, right. it's... It's when the picture of one of them means you can't, you have a panic attack. That's when it's a problem. Right. How accurate are you being? You know, I mean, like my, my dad is repulsive. You know what I mean? <laughs> so like how fair am I being here? Really? Because it's. Yeah. <laughs> when it gets you towards that reasonable repulsion area. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so, so, so sometimes for some people, it's reacting really intensely to noises that other people barely even register and that obviously is, is quite a problem because they they really have a heightened reaction and know that other people aren't reacting in the same way and for other people it's in a situation where other people would agree that it's disgusting or rude or whatever that it it causes a much more intense reaction than it should and i think that that's a really good question about like whose responsibility is it to change in that situation is it the person who's eating that way or is it the person who can't control their reactions and you know as you were saying matt that it's it's grounded in survival so if you think about the, the sorts of sounds that we're talking about like repetitive rustling sounds and sniffing and coughing there's signs of like a, a a predator in the grass and I talk about it's it's a bit like you're a meerkat and you're the one you're the meerkat whose job it is on top of the hill to be alert and look for signs of things that could be dangerous and once you notice that sign you shouldn't ignore it until you're sure it's not dangerous 
is could could one of the methods well, i guess one of the um primordial reasons could it be being upset at your own hunting party like uh for not being silent enough or something like that because the i i guess i personally i'm i'm not struck so much with this like primordial fear as this overwhelming annoyance almost a hatred mm-hmm. of it's like i'm getting screwed over yeah, you know? so what, what, uh, the way we sort of distinguish that in therapy is, is it sort of a sense of threat? Like, do you feel like you're sort of in danger or something bad is going to happen? Or is it a sense of violation? Like someone is doing something to you or crossing some kind of boundary of yours or some kind of um, expected social boundary? Right. Or is it that a fear of sort of that you'll be overwhelmed and won't be able to cope with how you react to the sound and and for some people it's a combination of all of those three and some people it's really distinctly one or the other yeah hmm and if it's that feeling of anger then there's there's probably it's it's harder to deal with in, in therapy but probably a bit more to work with because in general the person isn't they're not actually doing it to try and annoy you they're not trying to violate some kind of boundary they're just totally going about their day but sometimes it can feel like they're doing it deliberately or that they don't care or that um you might have told them before and they responded badly or they forgot or something like that and so then it the reaction kind of grows because the the intensity grows based on all of that other meaning that gets attached to the fact that this is happening right now yeah, I was uh, I was trying to remember did, uh, when you did when you were on the podcast last time. Did you talk about the questionnaire then? Is no, it, it, I hadn't done any of this work. Yeah, that was years that. ago. Yeah, that was, we yeah, were on yeah. this podcast years, literally years ago. <laughs> I know you, you sort of call it, like ago. you have to add three years to any memory of when something yeah. was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, so that was that's a big it was like a couple of big... years ago plus three years. Well, and I like I definitely would have talked about it if I if I had known about it because I've been obsessed with it for the last several years now. So it it's all I have talked about. <laughs> so yeah, if I'd been working on it then, I definitely would have mentioned it. So so what is this questionnaire? So this is a a questionnaire that's designed to measure misophonia and to sort of capture the complexity and the dimensions of of misophonia. So a, a lot of the questionnaires that were out there, they just kind of captured a general. Reaction, and it was what in uh, psychometrics terms, so measuring concepts that can't sort of directly be observed. In psychometrics terms, it was what we would call like unidimensional or one factor, which just means that it's just kind of measuring one concept. But what we wanted to, we thought it was much more complex than that. So we wanted to expand the, the number of items that people answered and try and work out what are the key aspects of misophonia. And so we came up with these five factors through the um, fancy stats that my statistician collaborator uses and found that there's these five factors. So one is this sense of emotional threat, so feeling trapped or helpless when you're around these sounds or like you you can't get away from or if you can't get away from the sounds that you might panic or something. Another is uh, either fearing that you'll be aggressive or actually being verbally or occasionally physically aggressive but most commonly people are just afraid that they'll act out. Another is feeling like there's something wrong with you for reacting this way. Another is feeling like there's something wrong with other people for making you react this way. And then another 
one is the sort of perception of how it limits your life, so what you don't do because you're worried about the sounds that you'll hear. And so what we discovered is that there's these five areas to it, so it's far more complex than just I get angry at the sound of somebody eating. And, and then there was, the is there a certain rich. score? Is, is, there, is there a certain score on the questionnaire that means it's sort of suitable for treatment? Is that we don't have a score yet that's suitable for treatment because we, there's no agreed diagnostic criteria for it yet. So we don't actually. It's really hard to define what that would be, and to capture that in a questionnaire, you have to do lots of interviews with people who have the disorder and don't have the disorder, and, and use that to extrapolate. Um, is is that the ultimate aim, though, to sort of get the... Because I know for, like, a lot of psychological disorders, there's a kind of, like, the sort of questionnaire, and, like, if you score if you score more than 30 on this, then you probably have whatever the condition is. So is exactly, that the eventual aim yes. to kind of get the sort of diagnostic criteria test? Yeah, definitely. And that that's kind of the next step for that questionnaire. So we already have a cutoff score, which is... We did some interviews with people, and this was before that big study that decided what misophonia actually is. Um, and we just uh, we interviewed people about their symptoms and how much of an impact it had on their life. And, and then from that, we found the score that is sort of above this. It's probably causing a, a, a burden in your life, but not necessarily a disorder at that level. Like we need We now need to do it with people who... It significantly is distressing and impacts their life. People who it's a problem, but they can deal with it, and then people who it's not a problem for at all, and then use those three groups to to figure out what the scores are. So, where do you think you score on this? I'm definitely in the like subclinical range because it I've, I've sort of managed to figure out how to live my life where it's not such a problem anymore, and you know if I. I'm in a room with a clock ticking. I will take the batteries out of that clock, but that doesn't stop me from having a job or anything. Right, right. Yeah. But my colleagues gonna... at my old job always knew which room I was in because the clock would just be outside the door because the NHS has the loudest clocks on the planet. It's so loud. <laughs> Once I started earning a bit more as I like became a manager, I just started to replace the clocks with nice silent clocks instead. So you could, I left my mark behind with... <laughs> Pretty silent clocks. <laughs> so, so anyone who works in an NHS psychology department can know which. Oh, Jane's worked here. There's yeah. a there's so a fancy there's a rose gold clock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and even like with the eating thing, that that when I was a kid, that used to cause me a lot of distress. Like there were times where I had these pigeons that lived outside my window, and I would try and like create some kind of bonnet out of a pillow by tying it up with a scarf and blocking my ears with a pillow because these pigeons outside my window just were just always there and always making noise. And now I, I had some pigeons living up just, that kept sitting up above the chimney that there's a, a non-functional fireplace in my room so I could hear them and it was like they were behind me and it was like they'd followed me to England <laughs> and was, was still there um, but what I did instead of putting a pillow on my head is I just shoved a pillow up the fireplace and now there's just a pillow in the fireplace and I can't hear the pigeons anymore <laughs> so so you've got a you've currently have a pillow in your fireplace and you're saying subclinical that's subclinical do you guys not have pillows in your fireplace <laughs> where do you keep your spare pillows 
I've poisoned <laughs> I've poisoned the neighborhood dogs. I got it handled. All right, I got a handle on this. Um, no, I mean I I obviously uh, you've know all about this uh, but i i um i wonder to me it seems the issue is okay there's a sound there's a sensitivity to, to sound there's a sensitivity to certain sounds and certain sounds are very triggering uh but it seems the the big issue and this would obviously go into like exposure therapy or the treatments the eventual treatments but the big issue is just the inability to focus on anything else it's the it's being consumed by that. It's the um, so I've I've always before I knew what misophonia was, I just assumed it was an OCD symptom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was I was wondering how you're extrapolating. Is this a symptom of an umbrella disorder or how does it get to be its own disorder where it can be untethered from other things? That's a great question. There's actually been quite a lot of research on that now because originally cool. it was being lumped in with obsessive compulsive and related disorders. And partly that was just because that's where people were showing up. And I was working in a specialist OCD clinic when I decided I wanted to start working on this. And we happened to get a couple of patients through that had it. And there are some other clinics around the world where it's the same thing. They were working on OCD and these people came in with some sort of repetitive behaviors and um, strange thoughts about people who were making loud eating noises. And so it looked a bit like OCD. But then one of the things, one, the more people I've worked with, I've realized depending on what's going on for that person, it actually looks like a lot of different disorders. Mm. So for somebody who, um, for example, if if you are sitting opposite somebody who's eating really loudly, you might get an image in your mind that you want to like leap across and stick their fork through their face and that's something that just might pop into your head and that's fine but if you get stuck on that image and think that makes me a bad person that means that I'm at risk of actually doing that or maybe I secretly want to do that that then starts to look a little bit more like OCD because in OCD people respond to thoughts and images as if they're meaningful when they're not whereas we also have like I worked with somebody who they were when they started to get angry, their heart would get really beat really fast, and then they started to worry that their heart would explode. And so they were worried <laughs> oh, that the anger of the sound would then lead to their heart exploding, which looks a lot more like panic disorder, where people um, misinterpret their bodily sensations as a sign of like impending disaster. Hmm. And then there might be people who don't go into social situations because they can't stand the noise, and so that looks a bit more like social anxiety. So the, the it's it's this it seems to be its own thing and and this is what the research is telling us as well that it it there's no consistency in the disorders that um are co-occurring with misophonia it right. it seems to be its own distinct thing but it can look like a lot of other things and it can occur alongside a lot of other things okay so so someone's psychological reaction to it is independent from the thing itself that's just the reaction they get is just the reaction, which may be a comorbid, may not be, but Could it seems be, yeah. like the thing itself deserves its own slot. Yeah. So, and I think what you were saying about that idea of um, not being able to filter out the sound. So, once it's there, once you've detected it, you just can't ignore it. And that's right. to say that, like I said, with ticking clocks, like once I've clocked a clock in the room, um, I, I literally can't unhear it and so it just keeps ticking and there's there's 
I don't fully understand the concept of this, but there's this thing called sensory gating, which is basically when there's a repetitive sensory, when there's repetitive sensory information, our brain is supposed to go, oh, that's the same thing I've already heard or seen or felt. I can stop hearing or seeing or feeling it now. And you can just ignore it because there's no new information coming in. But for some people... Okay, like the way you just get used to... If you live in a city, you get used to traffic noise. And if you live on a farm, you get used to the smell of a farm and the noise of animals. Exactly. Yes, exactly that. So you, you just habituate to that sensory information. And they, they, do, they test this in labs with this thing where they have two um, tones that sort of ring really close together. And some people hear it as one tone and some people hear it as two tones. And people with autism and people with panic disorder uh, will hear the second, more likely to hear the second tone. And it hasn't been tested in misophonia yet, but I suspect it will be the same in misophonia. The brain just treats the next one as is that it is as important as the first time you heard that sound. Oh, interesting. So I so mm. so people so autism makes it less sort of more likely that you will continue to hear a or continue to sense something and less likely to habituate to it. Exactly. And that's why people with autism often experience sensory overload because they just keep experiencing the sensory information there's that no adjustment adjust to exactly wow oh, that wow. Makes and that's the bit that i think is just kind of natural variation and so people who are predisposed to have misophonia probably have just a natural variation where that is just heightened for them and in terms of group survival it's good that some people stay tuned into things and others don't because other people can get on with you know keeping the tribe alive and all of that sort of stuff while the people who are more alert will keep paying attention just in case something changes so it's part of group survival but if you then can't switch it off and you live in a busy and loud world that we live in now it becomes a problem and if that's happening so in a lot of people develop this during childhood so if that happens during childhood and you can't tune out somebody who's making a pretty disgusting eating sound and so you're getting more and more upset and then the whole family starts laughing at you for being upset and making the sound because they think it's funny that you're getting so upset. Yeah. Then that sound is now linked in your brain to being like having your emotions invalidated and being picked on and criticized and being different from everybody else. And so now when you hear the sound, you're not just, it's not just that you can't ignore it. It's that you also feel isolated and criticized. Is anyone else just picturing all the chicken dance variations from Arrested Development right now? <laughs> oh, no. 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 Yeah, I'm wasn't, and I'm curious why you were. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm fascinated that we're, we're having on, you know, comedian Steve Hall and um, Captain Hook. Uh, we're just <laughs> you, guys, you guys remember in Hook the clock obsession oh okay it was like clearly yeah like that's how he every time a clock ticked like because the, the alligator had swallowed a clock an alligator had swallowed a pocket watch is it an alligator or a crocodile probably a crocodile okay. crocodile but it's but yeah, really important that we know the difference <laughs> I mean, you're Australian. You should yeah this is I, don't want to I would always assume guess. crocodile unless proven otherwise as you should as you should yeah I would think Neverland would be a crocodile. No, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it seems uh, more exotic. That's fascinating, and something that this is probably this is a side rant. Uh, this is related but un- unrelated. Is um, a, it's strange to me online these days with like uh, we'll get out of just um, science brain for a minute. Like 
social media. You know how like people have they're completely misusing POV, like when they post like a video. Well, how are they using it? Well, they're using it where it's it's not your point of view. It's just them doing an impression. You know what I mean? Like uh, it'll be like like um, POV. You're you're bored during an exam, and it's a guy. It's a video of a guy looking bored during an exam. It's the opposite of a POV. It's the opposite of a POV. POV. You're you're looking at (laughs) someone who's bored. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, that's happening a lot. But another, but I've noticed that something that has gone off the rails with people having no idea what they're talking about is intrusive thoughts, where Mm -hmm. on online people are talking a lot about like um, intrusive thoughts, just culture. It's in the zeitgeist. It's in the like Generation Z zeitgeist now. when they just mean an impulsive thought or something, yeah. So yeah, just a just a thought, <laughs> just something. Just a thought, right? Head. Like like yeah. uh, I can't stop the intrusive thoughts. Probably going to get yeah. bangs. And it's like, well, no, yeah. that's <laughs> that's an impulsive <laughs> thought. An intrusive thought is. Although I'm gonna if you follow through and actually get those bangs, then right. maybe you could be considered to have a disorder. <laughs> right. Intrusive right. thoughts uh, make you worry you're even, a serial killer. Like it, it's horrible. Yeah. Even beyond, I'm going to microwave my cat because, like, I, I, I haven't had that one, but like, I think everyone has that sort of. Again, you you sort of have that brief like, oh, what if I jump off this building or exactly. what if I turn the car into traffic? But it's yep. when. It's also realizing that no, everyone has those thoughts briefly. It's then whether that thought yeah. comes and goes, or whether it just sticks in your head and becomes more and more of a thing until you're really worried that you will do it, and then you right. And then how much yeah. does it freak you out, and et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah. There's there's sort of there's like thoughts, sort of thoughts that you don't invite that just pop into your head, and they can be positive, negative, or neutral. So that could just be like suddenly remembering something that happened, or wondering if you've got your keys in your pocket. And that's just a, a, a thought that pops into your head. And then there's intrusive thoughts, which everybody has, but most people don't have them very often or in a way that particularly upsets them. So like what Matt was saying about a thought that you might jump off a bridge or that you might push someone onto the train tracks or something. We've all had those sorts of thoughts. And so that is still an intrusive thought because the nature of an intrusive thought is that it comes in when you don't want it to and it's distressing. So if you find it distressing, then it is intrusive. But when it becomes an obsession and intrusive thoughts in an OCD sense, it then becomes a preoccupation and you feel like you have to do something to make that thought go away or to prevent that from coming true or to, to mitigate the responsibility for that happening. Of course. And I, I and I think ironically, a reason a lot of intrusive thoughts or, or it's like the definition alone means you're not at risk for doing that. It, it's not in your nature because it's you're having a thought that's not in your nature. So it's distressing. Yes, cause, because if you're not wanting to have that thought, then that means that you don't. Right. That that, I mean, I guess if you're if you're a, a violent, horrible person, that is a normal thought that might even be a little pleasing. I don't know. So if it's if it's like super distressing, it's probably a good sign. Um, like if a murderous thought was not intrusive, then you should be worried. But then it goes the other way, right? Because there, I'm sure, like actual sociopaths might have murderous thoughts that they that please them. But then also people with certain forms of OCD have murderous thoughts that then make them panic that they're actually a murderer when they're not, and then that becomes a sort of negative cycle that they can't break out of. Of course, of course. 
Yeah, um, so the OCD comes from what it means that you had that thought. I wonder if, like, axe murderers, like, if their version of intrusive thoughts is just, like, helping that old woman across the street. <laughs> you know, they, like, oh, God, get out of my head. <laughs> oh, kindness. Oh, gratitude. <laughs> right. Helping someone with their groceries, and they just go nuts <laughs> thinking about it. Like, yeah. yeah. And so it's, that, it's, it's actually a really great comparison because it's, it's really similar with this, the reaction to sounds. So... If you hear someone who's eating in a really loud, messy way and you think, oh, that's disgusting, and then you get on with your day, it's not really misophonia because that's just a that's just an opinion of somebody's eating. But if you think, oh, God, what's wrong with me that I'm thinking such awful thoughts about somebody that I care about or you're getting a really intense reaction that you're worried that something will happen because you're stuck with this thought – then it's getting more into the territory of misophonia. Yeah. So, Steve, how much do you charge your wife for the exposure therapy? <laughs> <laughs> we've. Um, it's it's interesting that like the different techniques we've developed over the years, and and a lot of it is just communication because it's such a big thing to sort of say. Uh, I have to tell you, your breathing makes me want to shatter your skull. Um, that it's quite a, it's quite a big moment to get to have that conversation and then still be a couple at the end of it. We probably shouldn't have put it in our vows. <laughs> so so like one of the biggest things we do is we sleep in in different bedrooms. Um, okay, and which is which again in a, in terms of a relationship feels quite a, a taboo thing to do, but it was actually brilliant for us. It's brought us closer together. And no, in sounds, a dramatic twist, it's not just because of the sound of Steve breathing. It's also because I'm a horrific snorer. And so I like bring on a misophonic type reaction in Steve because I am also a horrible snorer. So I, it's better for everyone. And it's sort of, and, and then there's also the added inspiration that we then need to be able to afford the rent on one extra bedroom in the house. So it inspires <laughs> us to work harder. <laughs> I, I've also I've noticed that I sort of feel like I've almost developed not misophonia it's a bit like misophonia by proxy where I find myself scoping out I either get annoyed by people if I think they might trigger Jane or I find myself kind of scoping out social situations kind of like a secret service agent scanning for danger so if, we, if we enter a cinema or if we if we go into a train carriage, I'm immediately there sort of going, okay, six o'clock, there's two teenagers, they look like they're going to be chatting quite loudly. Uh, there's, there's quite a fat guy sat over there, his breathing's going to be awful. And then the worst thing is if you, if, if you see someone chewing and you're like, gum! And you uh, die in the way. Gum, bro, gum, like, gum, get out, get out! Why is he talking into his lapel? There's nothing there. Yeah. <laughs> No, There's someone also, sitting opposite like, is like, because- I hate when someone talks into their lapel. It sets me off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also, because uh, I should say, because you've both, I think two of the three of you have mentioned exposure and one of the, it's a bit of a, a taboo word in misophonia because the idea of exposure therapy, the sort of classic exposure therapy where you are facing the thing that you're afraid of, or in this case that you, uh, makes you angry or causes a strong reaction with the idea that you will get used to it eventually and what we've actually seen with misophonia is that you don't because of that part of your brain that doesn't ignore it actually what can happen is it intense can intensify because your your brain doesn't get used to it 
And so what we do in therapy is we do we do use sounds as part of the therapy but only for short bursts at a time and never with the aim of like we're going to get you getting used to this sound but actually we're going to try and change the nature of the relationship with sound and decrease the intensity of the reaction and that's part of you know I was talking about the sort of layers that get added on because the it, it's associated with being ignored in the at the family table or being teased by your siblings or getting in trouble at school or something if we can help to pull apart those layers and all you're left with is just like oh i can't ignore that sound then you can at least work with that like you, you, can, that the, you can that's function the, with that is that more like the the act model versus the cbt um, so um so act so that's acceptance and commitment therapy that that that's kind of its own format so the idea of that is sort of accepting things as they are and then making decisions based on what you what's important to you in your life and that mm. has that emerged from cbt so so it's kind of similar right. strategies but they have, i don't know they what have i'm talking set. about by the way like that's that's so keep that in mind it like at all times like i i just i'll just say acronyms so i'm lucky i landed on one i no i uh yeah. no so the, some some people do use that um but that that's that's sort of grounded in the ideas of mindfulness and sort of um what they call defusion which is like detaching the the emotion from the like if it was with sounds it would be from the sound like sort of disconnecting a bit from the experience and observing the experience so that it doesn't cause the same reaction but right. what i'm doing is more from a um, what we call a inhibitory learning perspective so inhibitory learning is the idea that um if you've been through experiences where sounds are connected to distress then you will experience that distress again when you hear that sound and if that is if that's really intense then it's probably more than just the way your body naturally reacts to sound there's something something else there that that you've experienced along the way that has taught your brain and body to react that way and so what we're doing is trying to use sounds and do different things when you're listening to those sounds so that you can create new connections in the brain that tell you this isn't a dangerous sound you're not under threat you're not being violated you might not like it and that's fine it might not you might not be able to concentrate and that's unfortunate but you're not in danger and they're probably not doing it deliberately and you're okay so you you're just safe. sort of even if you don't feel good you're, you're safe so you just sort of sit with a patient and repeat, I love you while you slurp a milkshake. <laughs> and sort of like uh, slowly. It's not far off. <laughs> right. So, you're you're uh, safe and then you just munch, you know, you're eating a sandwich. You're safe and I love you. Yeah, so we've got this thing called opposite action, which is you do the opposite of what your instincts tell you to do because what we do actually reinforces what feels true to us. So if what it feels like is this other person is doing this deliberately and how dare they, and so what you do is you glare at them and you hope that they notice that you're glaring at them because you really want them to know they're doing something wrong. So the opposite of that might be to smile at them or to say I love you while they're sipping their milkshake. <laughs> And all the things that I do in therapy and that I've put in my book and talk about in my research, I try everything myself. So poor Steve has had times where I'm like, I'm just going to test something. Could you just eat this bag of crisps, please? And then I'll gaze adoringly <laughs> at him while he eats them so that I can test wow. for myself. 
So that's almost like a like a DBT type thing. That's the last acronym I know. You're making these up now, Jesse. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm a BLT therapy advocate. No, no, DBT is a real thing, but it's the opposite work. I mean. Yes, I just yeah, mean the opposite. Stuff word. comes from that. So in DBT, I think it might be radical acceptance, which is the idea of sort of coming to terms with how things are, and that's definitely part of what you need to do with misophonia because it's coming to terms with your brain processing things differently and people not behaving the way that you wish they would. But it's also about trying to change things. It's not just about accepting that. It's that I, this. The theory is that it th- there's some something that's you've experienced that has is causing you to react with the intensity that you are and therefore we want to create new experiences with those sounds that overrides those old experiences and so sometimes it's just i'm sorry i'm trying i'm trying not to um make any weird noises into the microphone so uh, oh, we've all been muting non-stop i, 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 I noticed we've so up our muting game this yeah episode. i live yeah. next to train tracks <laughs> and and like three trains have gone by during this podcast i've had to mute i'm impressed the if people in the misophonia realm are listening to this they're going to be very happy that you've done that although they, they probably still will pick up on tiny sounds that you won't even notice but if they're autistic they're mad they missed out on those trains so it's a double-edged sword <laughs> <laughs> now do we have any theories uh when i say we i mean you and then i take credit later as we um no do, do you i'll put you th- down as co-author on my next paper no no i um here's my here's my big question is Th- the, just the, thanks will do just just sort of the, <laughs> the the opposite of misophonia and i say this because every now i was and then, gonna ask the same thing well every now and then i'll search for like an asmr video right you know right. like a like a weird slow hotel check-in or something but but like <laughs> you know because they'll make me sleepy and you know yeah but then uh half of them are just people just like eating lasagna yeah into a microphone really close to a condenser mic people really enjoy that there's a community of people that are very they're into it very yeah so so for people who are listening who don't know asmr is uh autosensory meridian response that was my last acronym that was my last acronym (laughs) i'm not (laughs) i mean technically that's an initialism they they all have been it it often gets when people are talking about it on social media, they, they talk about it as if it's the sounds, like these are ASMR sounds. And actually the response, is, ASMR is the response. And so ASMR is actually the tingly feeling that you get in response to certain sensory information. So for some people, that's certain sounds that give you a tingly feeling. Sometimes, you know, I, I get it if someone scratches the back of my neck, like I get a sort of tingly feeling. Or if I listen to certain yeah. songs, I get a tingly feeling. So I, that I get response, it. And again, it... it it was only once sort of people started talking about ASMR videos and stuff that I realized this thing was a thing that I've identified from childhood. But we've talked about this on the show about our different triggers. I think Jesse and I have similar triggers, which is just sort mm-hmm. of someone very patiently explaining something very basic or potentially wrong. <laughs> like I, like I, I love, I love a well-meaning psychic, for example, when someone's just talking absolute like woo bollocks at me, but really sincerely and. So, so this is what this means. I'm like, that's not what it means, you little sweetheart. But like, carry on going. Uh, Matt, I I have a video that I watch all the time. It's like two hours long, and it's this guy giving you a tour of his shoe store. 
<laughs> but it's like a it's a bespoke shoe store. So he's explaining all the different leather cuts and stuff. You'll be in heaven, man. Cloud, it's the most boring thing I've ever seen in my life. And I'll just watch it. <laughs> but, yeah, but that's so the thing. I don't got. I don't get set off by those kind of sounds or anything. Those those videos for the most part. But yeah, sorry, you're, mm. you're saying, Jay. Yeah. So so when when people are talking about it as if the ASMR is the sound itself, they say, "Oh, I hate ASMR sounds." But actually, it's that some people get an ASMR response to the sounds that people with misophonia get a, a negative reaction to. It just happens to be some of the same sounds, and. In, when they've studied the two things together, there there's actually a correlation that people who experience ASMR are, also have higher scores in, in misophonia. So they're actually related. It's So there's something about a sort of um, hypersensory experience. It's just that sometimes that experience goes down a negative um, sort of repulsion or anger or panic response, and sometimes it goes down the, the pleasure response. But they're both a hyper attention and hyper response to particular sounds and usually soft sounds and repetitive sounds. Right. Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, the ASMR thing that, that sort of leads into something that I was going to ask about, but I don't want to seem super cynical when I ask that, but this, but ASMR is sort of a recent, I think at least like it's, it's sort of like taken off as a thing. I don't know if the actual, initialism is relatively recent i think it kind of is right yeah i think i think similar to misophonia it was only given a name relatively recently but obviously right and i I wonder because is is there any basically the the comparison i'm wondering about is i don't know if you heard the trend during covid of so many kids suddenly getting diagnosed with tourette's with coincidentally the same symptoms as this one prominent tiktoker like saying the word beans and you're like, okay, well, oh. maybe there's something else at play. You hadn't heard about that? No, I had. But I, I really struggle with like TikTok or Reels because because I can't predict what sounds I'm going to hear, and I don't like the jumping to a sound and not being able to well, control. It's named after a clock sound. Stuff. That's like not the app for you. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, horrible. Is that also, literally the name of the crocodile in Peter Pan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's it, you know, it's like if there was a new social media app for my comedy, but it was called People Eating Lasagna. Like I wouldn't. I'm, I'm not going to be on it. I'm not downloading it. Not doing it's it. just Garfield. That's the only user of that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but basically, my question is: Is there any possibility that some there's some aspect of social contagion in this, uh, or is that not a thing you're even looking into, or does it not matter because some people obviously have a real problem with it? So who cares if if some others are hearing about it and then be like, "Oh, that sounds like," or even if it's not a, a conscious decision. But I guess if you don't even know the analogy I'm talking about with those Tourette's <laughs> or multiple personality TikTokers, I'm not studying that directly myself and i think it's not that important because once you start to do that you start to undermine the experience of people who are really suffering and there are a lot fewer people who are faking it or copying than there are people who are suffering and and so if we if we accidentally help some people who aren't really suffering i don't care (laughs) there's no harm as long as the people who are suffering are, are getting the help they need that makes sense. Apologies for the cynicism. Yeah, cynicism over. I'm going to be. Well, I mean, it, do you think a lot of that is? <laughs> do you think a lot of that is the same way? I, I guess all of us were children 
uh, pre-social media. So speak for yourself. It, uh, sure, sure. <laughs> well, I, I certainly was. So um, the same way, I mean, I remember wanting to be the people you look up to. I guess these days they're like TikTok stars. So instead of try, you know trying to act like uh, Kurt Cobain or something, it's saying beans. Right. That's or true. Something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if it. Uh, so if that's. Yeah, the it's circle possible, of influence just, has just grown. Like you, you didn't have access to as many different people in the past, and now there's there's all the information is out there. So I think just there are just more people that are out there to copy, yeah. and then once it the the sort of contagion, like you, I think you use the term social contagion, that it spreads much quicker because right. there are more people influencing what you do. And it's, I'm, although, I find although, the not the fact, not knowing. Um, it's, I, I hate the not knowing where the thing has come from. So sometimes, so our seven-year-old son, for example, has just—he's got quite into Minecraft. So we've let him watch a few Minecraft-related YouTube videos. Sure. Um, and we yeah. thought we thought they were all acceptable for a seven-year-old. And out of nowhere, our seven-year-old has started regularly saying "D's nuts." <laughs> <laughs> So we've realised we haven't uh, we haven't done the parental controls as well as we should. It could it could be one of those parallel thoughts things like you know Newton and Leibniz both discovering calculus at the same time. Right, it's, right. Like, just, it's he per, did it's perhaps that it had its origins in testicles. Like we we were trying to explain to him, you are saying balls, and he's going, no, I'm not. It's not what it means. Wow. Um. Interesting fact, by the way, uh, before TikTok, uh, Kurt Cobain's kid was only called Francis Cobain. Hey! hey. Yeah, that's been like that for about a minute and a half. And no, it it's a deep cut. It would have been equally really bad a minute and a half for, ago, but at least it would have been for. pertinent. Yeah, it was worth waiting for. It. That was, uh... Cut and paste, Matt. Just move it just, back to where it belongs. Just waiting for the gap in the conversation. <laughs> well, I, I just mean that uh, when we were children, we're emulating people we looked up to. Generally, they were in the arts in some way, or they had made some sort of product instead of just vloggers. Right, so, right. so people are acting like whatever now because people are famous for no reason. Uh, I'm not doing a back in our day it was better thing. I'm just, uh, I'm just. Sounds like you are. Okay, I am. I'm getting old and cranky. I'm old and cranky now. Um, I, I just mean the, they're emulating different. It makes it, Yeah, I get what you're saying. The, the fame has changed. You know, uh, so yeah. like being a big YouTuber or something is. Uh, well, yeah, it's literally what when they ask kids that they want to be when they grow up. That's the number one answer now. Right. So it's looking up to a different thing. So that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying yeah. there's anything wrong with it. Looking up to a different thing. It so, just is. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't know. Maybe little kids are doing like they're also trying to do the ASMR videos. Like you show up to first grade and there's just very calm talking people dressed like a stewardess. Every kid, every six year old has a ribbon <laughs> mic at their desk. Yeah. Scrape their fingernails on it. Extremely expensive it. <laughs> ribbon mics. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Uh, yeah, when I'm I grow up, I want to be a fake hairdresser. <laughs> That's what I want to be. <laughs> I want to pretend to cut someone's hair. Have you watched those videos where they use the binaural mics and put a wig on it and cut its hair? No, <laughs> I haven't seen the ones where they go as far as the wig. But uh, yeah, you put you put on head you put on headphones, and I, I used to do it during the pandemic when like uh, I mean we're still in a pandemic, but like you can't go get a haircut so or or travel. So I would just that's how I got into it. I would watch fake hotel check ins and fake haircut videos. <laughs> To pretend I was doing stuff because I'm very pathetic, you know? And uh, <laughs> it's it. a lot of gear. I, I it's a lot of a, kit. 
I went down a bit of a spiral of uh, watching train spotting videos. So I was just interested by the culture of train spotters. And they're really sweary. For some reason, I'd had an image of train spotters as being a certain type of slightly affable nerdiness, but they're absolutely yeah. potty mouthed. They're, they're sort of, <laughs> and they're kind of sh they're shouting at train drivers to to give them a toot or give give them a flail, but they're they're effing and jeffing while they do it. And meanwhile, <laughs> I went to work and wrote a book. <laughs> <laughs> I think our listeners are going to relate to Steve a little more on this one, but uh, yeah. oh, wow! I, I, believe me, my I'm doing my second PhD. Material is not very relatable. <laughs> so, so St Steve just keeps watching YouTube and breathing, just breathing, <laughs> sitting there existing. Just a good breath today, Steve. Did you? Did you have some loud breaths? How many did breaths you, did, did you take you today? Your tea? <laughs> that that I don't need to ask that because the answer is always yes. Yeah. <laughs> You're asking um, before about like some you... of the things we do around the home, and actually that that the seating positions when we're watching stuff is is one of the things that we've organised so that at the very least I don't have to see the tea going to his mouth so i you know that it's the anticipation of the slurp that's part of the problem so we right. now i bought a bean bag so that i can sit on the floor without subclinical guys in my guys subclinical <laughs> subclinical <laughs> like any right. normal human being would i bought a yes bean bag. she she sweeps the dead pigeons out of the <laughs> chimney pillow and then she sits on the bean bag this is subclinical all right. Um, if the pigeons were dead, so I wouldn't have a problem with it because they would be quiet. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, so tell us more about the book. If this is a book, because your PhD is obviously aimed at academia, but you're, is the book for the general public? Yeah, it's a self-help book. Yes. So it's it's the, the sort of target audience is people who have just discovered what misophonia is and want to learn more about it and f learn some strategies for improving things and is this book when's this book out or is it already available oh no it's it's not out till september apparently it takes a really long time to make a book so um i'm not officially promoting it yet it's just happening that's going to be the most tedious audiobook recording you've ever done <laughs> yeah, we, every we've breath, already had three every... meetings about the audiobook. <laughs> How are we going to pull this off, guys? <laughs> every gums, it's all, it's all, I think it might have to be narrated by AI. You might have to get like a sort of, <laughs> it might have to be Siri does the narration for it, so it's completely clean. <laughs> we were talking about who you who you who you would try and get for the audiobook. Whether you would would you do it yourself or would you get a? Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Don't know. It's it like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, in terms of because there's, there's, there's a few like... celebrity misophonia sufferers. <laughs> oh. There is, yeah. Are they out? Can we? Yeah, there there are quite a few who have talked not? about it. Um, so oh gosh, um, Sarah Silverman is one of them. She talks about it a bit on Twitter. Uh, Melanie Linsky. Um, someone told me okay. that who was it that I said yesterday? Uh, well, Ricky Gervais. A lot oh, Ricky of people Gervais. think is. But your colleague just recently interviewed Lisa Loeb. Oh yeah, Lisa Loeb. Huh. Oh, she's got which, a good uh, narration which, which I think you said on Twitter that, that it made the the lyric "You say I only hear what I want to." 
Put a new meaning. (laughs) (laughs) Whoever accused her of that has to have apologised by now. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, get Lisa Loeb to do the audio. I can see Melanie Linsky being a good... Yeah. They both both got good voices, her, Melanie Linsky... And, and I do feel like Melanie Linsky could like play me in an audio movie. Like you know, she's got the New Zealand accent. It's pretty close. Yeah, I'm sure she she can do. I I think she's probably got all all the accents covered. I feel like yeah. she's someone who's good at accents in general. So Melanie, if you're listening, <laughs> get in touch. What is she known for? I'm googling her right now. You do, Melanie Melanie Linsky. Yeah, she's most recently in the first series of Yellow Jackets. Oh, I still haven't seen that yet. Okay. She was in a brilliant series called Togetherness. I think it was an HBO series. Um, what's the, the film she, that I love? Is it Beautiful Creatures, is it? Uh, what's it? Oh, she uh, was in Heavenly Creatures. Creatures. No, no, oh. Heavenly Creatures. Heavenly Creatures, sorry. Yes. Yeah, with Kate Winslet. And that that's what I first knew her from. She's brilliant. That was like one of the first Peter Jackson movies, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yep. Yeah. But she's and she's done a lot of them. You would have seen her in a bunch of things. Okay. For sure. Well, she was in... Um, What's the terrible, uh, uh, the Charlie Sheen, John Cryer? Two and a half half men. men. Two and a half men. She was in that as well. So she's had quite the career. (laughs) She was. I I don't think I ever have seen a full episode of Two and a Half Men, but I think I've seen many half Two and a Half Men's. (laughs) <laughs> Let's put put that out into the universe. We need to get her on board for this well, audiobook. Is yeah. there two and a half? Oh, she was in the she was in the reboot of What Hot, Hot American Summer. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yep. Which I know you've seen. <laughs> anyway, you've seen you've seen her in a bunch of things. Yep. Uh, if people want to see, uh, if people want to see you guys in a bunch of things, how can they find you? If people were to find. If people wanted to find a Dr. Jane Gregory, check out a website. If people wanted to check out a Steve Hall, how would they go about it? Well, they could find a Dr. Jane Gregory by typing in at Dr. Jane Gregory on social media. Um, Only two social medias because I am old. So I'm on Instagram and Twitter, and I only just started doing that in the last couple of years. Um, But for the misophonia stuff, I also have a website, soundslikemisophonia.com. And now that I've finished writing my book... I'm going to get back to my plan for that is to keep updating it as new research gets published. I'll write little summaries of what the research is and what it means and how it might apply to people with misophonia. Excellent. And then also your your general website as well, where you have your your general clinical thing, your CBT websites also. I, I'm not really updating that at the moment, so I, I don't recommend that people go looking for me there. It's It's a bit out of date now. Fair enough. <laughs> and are you are you practicing, or are you just uh, are you just doing research these days? At the moment, I'm mostly research. I the my job is partly research and partly within the NHS as well. So I'm okay. Um, seeing and supervising patients with misophonia in our clinic in Oxford, but most of my week is research. Cool. Very and cool. And Steve, um, I uh, I'm recording an hour. Um, there's a wonderful uh, website called, uh, production company called Go Faster Stripe, who oh, uh, nice, who makes yeah. some excellent stuff. Uh, and um, Chris, who runs Go Faster Stripe, wants to film me doing an hour, so I'm doing that in April. Uh, oh, see, where are you recording it? Um, at the Chapter Art Centre in Cardiff. Oh, right, that's where which, they always. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, that. yeah, that's that's, what... it, that's his kind of his HQ. But I'm if very I, excited. If I remember about rightly, that. it started off 
Was Simon Munnery the first one he did? Or was yeah, it it's, and it was kind of Simon Munnery and, and Stuart Lee and, and Will Hodgson and people like that. Yeah, it basically started off this sort of... Comp- correct me if I'm wrong, but I think basically a comedy fan, a big comedy fan who was based in Cardiff, was sort of just annoyed that you could only get the big names on DVD at Christmas. You could only get your sort of uh, Michael McIntyre's and whatever playing the Apollo. And he was like, I want... Why isn't there a DVD of people I really like, like Simon Munnery and Josie Long? And then went, well, and then got a few mates together and basically said, let's do this. And now has a production company with a really good repertoire of a a really good library of some really great comics. That's exactly it. And then, and so he's got a subscriber base. And so if you, if you subscribe to Go Faster Stripe, anything they put out, you can then stream. And it's, and it's, he hasn't put out anything bad, basically. It's one of those where just, being invited to do it is as big a compliment as I could get because his roster is just amazing. Yeah, so it's like a, it sounds just, like it's like a good record label or something where you're just like they they just pick good stuff. Yeah, exactly. that's exactly yeah. like and a good record label that started up entirely like with not really any kind of big commercial ambition. It was started up just because he's like, I want a recording of this show and no one's doing a recording of this show, so fuck it, I'm going to do it. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's cool. Totally. So you said you haven't recorded that yet. It's coming up. Yeah. So that's I'm recording that in April. Okay. Uh, and uh, yeah, I am. Um, and we all know you're going to wind up doing this audiobook too. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to do it. You're going to be extra breathy with it. It's in fact yeah, by, yeah. by the end of the audiobook, you're cured. That's how I'm going to. That's, that's how we're going to do it. Yeah. I'm going to eat digestive biscuits all the way through. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. But never you mention gotta- it. By the end, the last chapter is just eat. You just have a meal. And that's, that's it. You gotta sniff a big bag of pollen before every recording day. <laughs> wow. That won't be necessary. <laughs> <laughs> yep, no resentment there. Well, <laughs> subclinical guys, subclinical, subclinical, subclinical. subclinical. Hashtag subclinical. Yeah, let's, let's get that trending. How are your uh, train spotting videos? <laughs> okay. Just have a knife. Um, <laughs> oh, I'll just I... be over here on the beanbag. <laughs> Don't look at me. <laughs> just with the, with the blinkers on, so I can't see when you're raising a mug to your mouth. <laughs> I have been known to. Oh no! So this is just going to make me sound even worse. Um, <laughs> to like because I wear glasses so just putting my hair over the arm of my glasses and just sort of wrapping it around so that it does create a blinker like experience <laughs> again subclinical and visit sounds like misophonia.com for more info and we'll of course update our listeners when the book and the comedy special are out you guys can find those later on this year yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And absolutely, for people who yeah. are interested in doing misophonia research as well, just in case you're not aware of oh, it, absolutely. Um, check out the Misophonia Research Fund because it's literally millions of dollars being spent on misophonia research. It's amazing. So, um, and, yeah, and those are non crinkly bills. Those those are <laughs> yeah. flat. Yeah. There's, there's no coins. Zero, zero coins. <laughs> It's a wire transfer. It's like nothing happens. There's not even a beep. The sound's off. Um, but yeah, that, that's a good point. We definitely have people who... I know we have listeners who work in in clinical psychology, psychiatry. So yeah, if that is something you're interested in, or just... I'm sure you're also, Jane, available to be messaged and for collaborations and the like. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, and if 
yeah, the, also if you want to take part in research as a research participant, I have a um, mailing list on my website that you can sign up and I'll email you when studies are recruiting participants as well. We have the best research participants in misophonia. Every other researcher I know is always complaining about recruiting and we have had no problem because everyone is so enthusiastic to be part of the process and to help raise awareness and make change through research. So it's been a phenomenal I mean, that makes perfect sense because if you've you've had this thing for years and it's not really, it's only recently had a name and no one really, particularly like you said, if if it's um, amplified by family members not believing you and even aggravating it when you're younger and things like that and not being properly listened to the idea that you would then have someone in a real research lab with a with real qualifications going like no this is a thing and we're actually researching it on a clinical level and we need we need participants yeah so yeah and you are you are not alone and this is a known thing and we're trying to work out how to make it better exactly just the the, the fact that the research exists is validation in itself and especially like you know i'm doing my research at oxford which is a huge endorsement of misophonia research that they wanted me here doing my research and i'm funded by the wellcome trust and that's one of the biggest medical research funders in the world so again just the endorsement of those two huge institutions is a really important step for misophonia yeah no that's incredible and also, I'm so. contractually obliged to mention Oxford. Um, so, <laughs> first rule of Oxford Club is always mention Oxford. <laughs> so, so yeah, let both both participants and researchers get in touch, get on that. If it's something you're interested in or something you've been dealing with, then do that. And yeah, find those websites. F- follow. I, find steve online and find out when he's doing shows around the uk because he's generally very very funny anyway and then if you're not anywhere near where he's performing go and get the go faster stripe subscription and you won't regret it because multiple past friends of the show are on it and just a bunch of really great comics that you might not have heard of so so do those things you can find us as always probably science.com on Twitter at Probably Science, individually at Andy T. Wood, at Jesse Case, and at Matt Kirshen, and probablyscience at gmail.com is the email address for any questions, comments, clarifications, and stories you would like us to cover. But again, Dr. Jane Gregory and Steve Hall, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thanks Cheers. for having us. Thank you. And thank you for your silence between talking. <laughs> oh, you're very, you're very welcome. <laughs>